the people that are right for franchise and those people who are willing to follow systems and conform to the common goal of having the best brand ever. You're listening to the Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online courses, many of them accredited for CECs and other professional development credits, with up to a massive 30% saving for members of Australian Fitness Network. Ben Fletcher is a personal trainer and the founder of Listen to Your Body, a great PT business that he's franchised across Australia. Here, he chats with the Fitness Industry Podcast's Oliver Kitchingman about the catalyst for turning his business into a franchise, what makes a fitness business suitable for franchising, who franchising is right for, and exactly what PTs need to look out for in a prospective franchise. Ben, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. No worries, Ollie. Thanks for having me. So before we get started, Ben, can you just tell me a little bit about your start in the fitness industry? Yeah, no worries. It was a while ago now. Was, I started studying in 2000 and started as a fitness instructor back then. And I did that for a, a 12-month period. At the time, I was, trying to be a, I was trying to be a professional cricketer and I was doing that full-time for a little bit. And then when that finished up, I, I guess, progressed into yeah, my Cert 4. And yeah, I was a personal trainer for, for multiple years first. And then I guess fell in love with the business side of fitness and yeah, from there progressed, yeah, progressed the business as well as obviously a lot of the personal training over the years. Okay. So, I mean, that's an interesting background as a professional cricketer, but I guess it has a limited lifespan. Yeah. And I will say, <laughs> I tried to be a professional cricketer. <laughs> I was in a professional setup in another life in my early twenties and it didn't quite work out. So I ended up playing a lot the year before, but I think a lot of synergies between sport and business as well. So yeah, it was a pretty natural progression. I always had a big passion for fitness from a young age at 16 and yeah, probably some stages too much for passion <laughs> for fitness. But yeah, so when I guess I guess didn't make it a cricket, I wanted to be as successful as I could in my career and fitness was my passion and I'm very fortunate to say this often i'm very lucky to have three passions and that's fitness and that's business and my third one which i developed about 10 years into my career was franchising so i've got a blend of all three and i still do all three today i still take sessions and clearly i run the business and we're franchising we're a franchise brand so very fortunate to live my three passions fantastic so once you've got your qualifications the next step for a lot of graduates would be to look for a role within a, an existing club to find a job where they're employed or they're renting space in a club. So what was your first move? So we were out of Ascot Vale Leisure Centre, which was back in the day and it still is, but it was a huge huge gym and my first move was from my qualification was to do as a fitness instructor and then around 12 months after that then we were doing personal training and back then it was an employment model so I'd do my fitness instructing shifts and I guess I'd use the time to try and recruit my personal training clients and build up my PT business and and after a period of time my PT business and employee built up a fair bit and then at that point they did change to the rental model and at the time it was pretty revolutionary back in 2000 late 2002 early 2003 and yeah it just sort of progressed from there okay so at that stage then after after working in that club you set your sights on setting up your own business yeah, so we had a bit of a unique pathway, if you like. So we'll keep this short. But in 2000 and 
three, I got booked out as a personal trainer. And I think at the time I had a waiting list of 15 plus members. We're knocking them back every day. And that was when I decided to employ someone. I spoke to the gym. Yeah, I spoke to the gym about putting on employees. Said that's fine. So we paid rent for that one, put on employee, paid rent for another one, paid rent for another one. And in 2004, after having four and we're doing a lot of sessions, I decided to, I guess, go from Ben Fletcher personal training to creating the entity called Listen to Your Body. So that was when we got serious. <laughs> and at that point, we spoke to the, I spoke to the management and there was a mix, I guess there was different like one-on-one PTs doing their own thing. Then there was us. So Listen to Your Body with a big player with four. Then I think one other one had one other employee. Then there was another couple. So I spoke to the manager and said, look, I think we need just one brand. Then I think we should go put it to tender because people here on the streets there's a mixed level of standards and the center were good enough to i guess put it to tender and we applied and we were the only one that applied so we won it so effectively all the other personal trainers had to relocate and listen to your body out of a big gym of six thousand members with a sole personal training company so we'd get a new pt out of their course would fill them up within a month next one and we built it up to well, close to 20 personal trainers 400 sessions we had a shop we had a weekend retreats we did sports clubs we did a big PT business. And at that point in 2000 and when we were going for a while in 2008, we wanted to, yeah, go to our own bricks and mortar and create, I guess what you call a proper, proper business, even though it was a, it was a very big business. But when you're inside another business, it's very hard. It's not saleable. So we wanted to, yeah, build our own bricks and mortar. And that's when we opened the first studio in late 2008. Fantastic. So that's 13 years ago now. So listen to your body. What were you guys doing differently than the other PTs that was giving you, you know, you are building up these waiting lists and that gave you that kind of that edge over them when it came to kind of winning the tender? Yeah, really, really, really good question that. So I just think, and I think this still stands today in business. I just think we did the basics really, really well. I think we were very good at customer service, really took the time to listen and understand what our clients' needs were. The price point's the price point. We weren't, we were always competitive in that space. We had really good, I guess, mentoring programs and always invested into our education to get the best standards of personal training that we could recruit the members because our reputation was so strong. Then once we recruited the members, the clients, we were then able to retain them very well. So I'd really just put it down to, I guess, a really high level of customer service, internal mentoring, and we also had a very, very positive culture within our organisation. Okay, so, I mean, your business name for starters, Listen to Your Body. Why this name? (laughs) I get that asked a little bit. Listen to Your Body is interesting. So, at first, we originated for, once again, when I was training very, very heavy and had multiple fitness coaches myself. And I remember this one particular fitness coach used to always say, listen to your body, listen to your body. And I was like, yeah, that's true. But listen to your body always thinks, oh, back off. I said, no, not necessarily. Listen to your body means put in more. So we always just thought, well, if you listen to your body, say, well, you know what? I, I've had a week off training. If a member says that, I've had a week off training. We've got to listen to your body. You need to put in more volume. On the flip side, someone's in overtraining. You've got to listen to your body and back off. So I guess the theory is, is to always just, I guess, listen to your body, see what it needs and compare that to, I guess, what an individual's goals are and to ensure that the work's getting put in to meet what the goals are. So yeah, we just said, well, listen to your body. That's not a bad name, actually. Listen to your body. So then it just stuck, I guess, and it's gained momentum since. And now we, we go by LTYB a lot and not LYTB like a lot of suppliers will say in emails. No, it's LTYB, listen to your body. So, yeah, and that's how it originated in 2004. So, man, it still feels strong today. So is that a message that you guys sort of instill in your clients as well? Yeah, 
Correct. Yeah, it's part of our it's part of our DNA really to say well clients are doing their you know, they drop down to two sessions a week. Obviously we don't want to be pushy, but we need to educate our clients. Like if you want to achieve XYZ goals, we need to put in A, B, C work. And then vice versa, if someone's on in overload and overtraining, that comes into play as well. So I guess from our PT point of view, for us it's not about, oh, let's give the latest and greatest and just nail someone, say, because we do that, which we we'll obviously talk about it, but we don't do one-on-one nowadays and we stopped in that in 2008. But with our group personal training, we want to ensure the volume, intensity and frequency of work per client is suitable for their factors such as what are their goals, what's their training history, what's their limitations, and try and meet those. Completely. Okay, so you've opened up your first club. Yeah. Is it a membership model? Yep. When we first started for the first 18 months, it wasn't. It was a sessions model. So they basically buy a 10, 25, 50, 75 pack. We flipped to a membership model in late 2010. Okay, so that membership model, did that then include the certain amount of training sessions each week or each month? Yeah, so it's obviously grown over the years, but in simple terms, the average per LTYB studio is $52 a week, and they can have a personal trainer within a small group as many times a week as they like, one per day. So it's an unlimited membership of up to one per day. So what, what that gives us the opportunity is our members to be able to access a PT and get that professional services five times a week. And it's really averaging a bit over $10 a session just in the small group, but they're still getting a tailored approach. So we're not a group fitness model where we've got, I guess, you know, a program and everyone's doing the same thing. We'll tailor for each person based on their main three things, their, their history, their goals, and their limitations. Okay. It's pretty good inclusion. What's the frequency of visit for, or the average frequency of visit for most of your, your members? 3.2. Yeah. <laughs> 3.2. <laughs> True story, yeah. <laughs> Average weekly member does 3.2. So we obviously got a lot of members that do the five to six, but then for one reason or other, they drop, people might drop down to a certain week, but then load up the next week. But 3.2 is our average per member. That's measured across the thousands of members that we have every week, yeah. Sure. So, I mean, I guess some of those guys are getting that 3.2, doing it the sensible way, having a day on, day of rest, day on again, whereas you probably get a bunch of people smashing it at weekends as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely spot on. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a mix. One advantage that we do have if people do back-to-back days and how we how we manage it is basically if someone comes and does more strength based on a Monday, well, it's just in the system we use, it automatically flips the cardio core on the next day. So they're not going to compound lifts two days in a row. So we manage their weekly workflow for them. So when they come in, we know that Heather's done this day, this day, this day. And then we make decisions based going back to listen to body. If she's done five days in a row, Saturday, then we'll put in a recovery session. So we'll manage that person based on their volumes and their intensities. Okay, so you've got all these small group training classes. Is there any other any other services that you guys offer, nutrition services, other group exercise, six-week challenges, any of that kind of thing? Yeah, we do. We specialize. It's really interesting. It's the old 80-20 rule, isn't it? Like sometimes you get too wrapped up in business, so let's try and be everything to everyone. And then you realize after a period of time, you're actually just not that good at everything. <laughs> you realize that, you know what? We're really, really good at this, but let's just get better at this rather than try to spread ourselves too thin. But we do do eight-week challenges. We do 28-day challenges. We do weekend retreats. We do fitness days. We took a group to Bali once. It's not a big part of what we do. Nutrition. We have tried a few things over the years to have a solution. We've tried our own app and getting that in partnership. And just to be honest, it's sort of like the most successful we've seen is when our studios team up with a local dietitian 
and have a collaborative approach with that territory, the best rather than a cookie cutter approach through a platform. And I know there's a lot out there, how much flexibility is in a lot of them. Maybe there is some, but what we have found ourselves at doing a fair bit of that stuff is that fantastic in theory, yep, gets out the recipe, here's all the ingredients, this is what you should do. But as it's a, as it's a fairly cheap solution for people, it doesn't get the customization, understand what the pain points and nutrition are. So in short, nutrition, we're dabbling, we do do different things and have done different things, but the most success from a local, I guess, affiliate that works really well. Yeah, and eight-week challenges. Uh, we also do, as a small thing, we've got an online shop, which is pretty cool with a heap of merchandise. And yeah, we do lots of yeah, open days. So yeah, we do different things to mix it up. But 80% of what we do is group personal training. I guess it's uh, finding the balance between, you know, as I say, you know, you want to be famous for one thing, but at the same time, it's good to, good to kind of to have some variety in offerings as well. I think the big value is that as a business owner, you always got to be looking to improve in what you're doing and adding on. And I think the value in that is sending a real strong message to your members. No, we're not stuck in five years ago of what we're doing. We're always looking to innovate. We can't say too much now, but we're looking at a really big rollout with our model in July, which is really cool. We're literally doing more testing today, which will just bolt on or integrate, should I say, how we're delivering sessions, which is yeah, which which we're really excited about. We've got a decent task force behind it, and that'll be another, I guess, aspect of what we do to, I guess, reach more markets and increase retention, which is the plan. So we're always looking to improve what we do whilst still keeping on track with our big point of difference, and that's individuality. That's our big thing. Sure. No, you just said you're not going to say too much about that right now, but I'm getting a bit of a techie vibe from that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there's there's a little bit there. (laughs) There's a bit of a, yeah, there's a little bit there. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Good things coming Um, time. (laughs) So, Ben, there are around 80,000 business franchises in Australia, I read recently. That includes a large number of fitness businesses, as anyone in the fitness industry would be aware. So, when did you start to think about franchising your business and so that others could operate their own LTYB clubs? Because it's a big move to go from running your own business and being able to oversee every element of the operation and to then sort of entrusting others to to kind of, you know, continue waving the flag for your brand. It's a great question, Holly. So June 2011, Cafe Malula Bar on a family holiday. (laughs) So uh, that was my inspiration. But no, so what happened from when we opened when we opened the single unit studio. So what, what happened was we were doing one-on-one and I'll be honest with saying this, I always say the story, but in 2007, I was signed with a good friend of mine. He's had a property development and I said, oh, what's the square meters? Because I'd love to open my own. He said where it is, which is literally 12 doors away from where I grew up, which I knew the area really well. I knew a heap of locals. I go, man, I was basically within a week I signed it. We had a year for the build there. And that, that mate, we're about to actually do a training session at one o'clock today. How funny is that? And all these years later. So anyway, and then when we opened this business, I thought, oh, yeah, we'll open up a one-on-one studio. I'll just expand what we're doing. And then I realized just for us, just for us, 2007, I was training a person, giving them a set on the cardio, call it, you know, I can't remember exactly what it was, 30 on, 30 off for six minutes, standing there with all respect. I was sort of thinking to myself, you know, well, this person can do it by himself. And I saw this, um, I guess, sort of beginner at the gym get really lost in what they were doing. I felt like, you know, what? I can go over and help that person. This person doesn't even stand. I don't need to stand next to him and get paid my 50 bucks for 45 minutes back then. I can go help this person. Then I started thinking, I think, well, later on, I think, well, what if I can do a one-on-one session, but then I can manage this person and that person's got poor technique on the laptop and I can go and fix that. Then I can give this person their drills. So I thought, what if you're on a one-on-one session within 12 people? So then I think, well, the price is one seventh for what you pay for for one session with a PT. You can do a whole week. 
And then we built the model and then I just, yeah, worked on it for months and months and built it. And then things went bananas at the business. People were traveling all over Melbourne to get to us and we were booked out. We were, cr- we were killing it. I've never seen this. And then everyone used to say, can you open one here? Can you open one here? I'm moving to Noosa. Can you open one here? Adelaide, I'm moving to Adelaide. Can you open one here? Someone, I'm going to America. Can you open one here? And this is a long time ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. over a period of time, I was like, Oh, franchising. This is the way. So then when I was reading up about it, once again, that cafe, I got all these magazines. I read everything about franchising, trying to understand it. Then I decided to put on a consultancy company, a Sydney-based consultancy company, and we built it for the next 12 months. I hired out a, an office in Mooney Pond so I could focus. I stopped working full-time in the business, put on two of our people in the roles that are still existing today, head PT, head manager of the studio, and then just focused on the franchise. And at that point, I wanted to get the model out to as many communities as I could. So, and that's how I guess I learned about franchising. Then I become really passionate about the model. If franchising's done well, and I, I will say that franchising can be done in varied ways, but we always pride ourselves on healthy franchising and win-wins for all. And to your early point, it is it's hard sometimes giving someone the, the keys to your car or you know look, looking after your kids, so to speak. It's hard because sometimes people will try and do things themselves and can go okay but we've always found that when we're united and not doing things all in the same direction yeah we get some really good results and look 90 percent of the journey has been really good so i think it's a really really good business model if done well okay so how many franchises are there currently in australia 16 16 and what's the spread across the states yeah queensland four vic 11 and perth one to come later in the year okay so, so- more states yet to be conquered. Yeah, yeah, we're certainly keen. We're not a super fast, rapid growth franchise. We're, as you notice on the timelines, we're sort of your two to four year. We do have the capability to ramp up and we, we may absolutely do that and I guess put more and more investment into it. We, I guess how do I put it, we like to really screen our people really well. I would never ever let someone, to the earlier conversation, I'd never grant someone a franchise unless I was adamant that A, that'd be profitable, B, that'd represent the brand well, and three, it's going to be a successful relationship because we speak to our guys sometimes three, four times a week, even eight years on. So we we need to connect really well. So I'm probably too fussy like that, to be honest. So that's why I would... We've had people say, I want to buy five of these and they've got the cash. So I'll say, okay, what's your model? Oh, yeah, I'll just get managers in. Oh, to me, that's risking the brand. So I've probably got to relax a little bit, but (laughs) happy with the growth rate we're going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I imagine that's a problem for businesses that do go too hard and too fast, spread themselves too thin, and that's when you lose the quality control. And then, as you, as you said before, it's a for a franchising operation, it's it's got to be mutually beneficial, and it's got to work for both parties. There's no there's no long term advantage in just saying yes to everybody and everything too quickly. I think that's spot on, and it's easy to do because when you're, especially when you're a smaller brand, selling a franchise has its you know benefits. Even though, look, to be honest, out of an initial franchise fee, there's not really a lot of profit in that. It's more just covering costs to go through the whole process to open up a, a studio, really. But you can see why franchisors get the lure of, oh, geez, if I sell three franchises this month, I've got X amount of thousand in the kitty. And then, you know, that gets used over time, but that injects more marketing for a short period of time until your cash flow catches up on their open. So I can see the temptation. But for me, it's like, like everyone's, you know, everyone's human. Like I wouldn't, put someone through that as i said hand on heart 
every single person's been granted at that time of signing. I've, I've never once had a funny feeling in my stomach. There was once I did through the 14 day cool off. So what happens as you might be aware, but if someone wants to, everyone agrees, they want to go ahead. You wish them issue the franchise agreement, disclosure document and a little, the franchise legal pack. They got 14 days. And then I remember once on the 14th day, I, yeah, it didn't really feel right. And I contacted the person and just, just really honest. I said, I think we're making a big mistake here. And sort of the goalpost changed in that 14 days with a few questions and a few things that I sort of noticed. And to me, it just didn't feel right. I go, no, no, I'm glad I got the opportunity to stop it now. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was great. I could have taken the money, but I just knew it would have been headaches. And I reckon I made the, I 100% know I made the right decision. We would, yeah, I knew I made the right decision. So mm. resist temptation and play the long games, our, our key. Wise words. So <laughs> did you have to make any changes to the way you, you operated once you started franchising? Because obviously, I, I mean, when, you, when you're overseeing every operation, you probably get into, into ways of doing things that work great for you. But then when it comes to sort of duplicating that and replicating it across multiple clubs, I imagine there would be some streamlining and some changes of systems involved. Yeah, absolutely big time. I think back in the day, I was like, oh, it's in Ben's head. Let's do it. Yeah, cool. Get it to work. And it did work. But it's, uh, well, is that transferable? So I think like we've, even now we're talking about, you know, like on upgrades, there's an upgrade. I think it's due, it's due by Friday. We've got two upgrades this week happening within the model, like systems, upgrades. The, the analysis always is, is, is it going to be repeatable for everyone to be able to on board really fast so and that comes down to not only a good operations manual not only that we've got that online which is really good we've got a lot of video footage with that that's really good that's good but it's like all right how can we get out the training what's the training plan it can't be just oh, i feel like doing this because it's ben's idea franchise is a total different business model then even like with studio one said oh, i wouldn't mind getting this machine in here i said oh look great idea but we can't because if you do that we're going to have to replicate that same machine at all studios which means that i can't put a burden of eight thousand dollars onto the rest of the network on the back of you like you know, you like that exercise when you're doing your own training, which is cool. But so you've got to be consistent across all. And I think McDonald's sent another funny example, of course, but they set the benchmark when it comes to consistency. And that's what we've always got to strive for. Sure. I imagine consistency is a continual theme throughout any franchise operation. Well, franchising is an interesting one because, and once again, I will say, you know, we've had a good run, you know, like 90% we've had really good. And speaking to all of my franchising peers, I think we hope, you know, we, we've got a really good culture. Guys follow the system. Success rates are high. Most of the time we're at 90% plus profitability for, for each studio. But I will say, if you think inside the mind of a franchisee and you've always got to do that is that, you buy a business, you buy a territory. Yes, you don't own the brand. You basically hire the brand through your agreement within that territory and utilize the systems to help you be more profitable faster. But when you're a business owner, you can, as a franchise, you can easily forget that because you're the one who's running the business. You're paying the bills. It's your business. It's yours to, it's your baby, really. You're just decided to team up with a brand rather than doing it yourself. So, you can sort of excuse franchisees for falling into that trap of forgetting that, hang on, I'm part of a bigger brand here. What goes for me has got to go for everyone. We give some room to move with the guys. No, no dramas there, but you can see. And I think it's just always just gentle education, a really good ops manual, really good conference, really good weekly communication to consistently say that, and a good franchise agreement, should I say. No, we're all got to go in this direction because if someone shops around, they go to three different studios and in McDonald's term, you don't go to McDonald's and get a Whopper, you know? So consistency is an ongoing, 
I'd say daily, I guess I won't say a challenge, but a daily, I guess, item to keep on top of. Sure. Constant consideration. Yeah. So if they, I mean, you talk there about, you know, you don't go into one branch and you get, don't go into one branch of Macca's and get a Whopper. So if the franchisee does have the opportunity to change some things to suit their markets or location, I guess you're saying it doesn't go as far as actually creating their own program. People put their case forward for their territory based mm. on certain reasons. Like, so a great example is, and I've sometimes I've thought, oh, really? So if you're the Queensland guys, say, no, Sundays is a no-go zone in Queensland. People just don't train on Sundays in the mornings at the studios. And I go, what do you mean? Don't I train? We've got to have three sessions. We have to offer it. People just don't train. They get up and they go for a walk or they get up and go for a run or a bike or a bam, bam, bam. So that's the case. We'll say, well, that's what the market demands and everyone's saying the same. I'm happy to support that. So the only thing I would say is let's just get some feedback and through survey, you know, through surveys about, you know, interest in a Sunday and that's the case. So when people put stuff forward, we always listen, consider it. And then the main thing I think of is, is it in line with our brand, our concept? Is it good enough for all other studios if they want to grab that idea and do it? And then the probably the bolt on to that would be, all right, in Gisborne, which is, I'd say, semi-regional in, in Victoria, would local paper work, whereas all the others advertising local paper, I'd say, no, don't, you probably won't waste your money playing social media. That's where everyone plays, right? They're all on their phones the whole time. But in Gisborne, it might work all right because people support their local paper and it's just a part of living in Gisborne. So there's definitely a tailored approach based on what we think is going to help get that franchisee, I guess, more profitable satisfied but also stay in line with our brand standards and consistency so there is some i always look at it like a train track you can actually move inside the train tracks no problems like so just don't step out of the train track you'll probably be all right <laughs> so yeah so listen to your body but listen to your market as well exactly yeah and see what seeing what works and testing it because the truth is is that you know, like from head office point of view, like, you know, Tiffany at North Lake certainly knows more than North Lakes than we do. I mean, we've got all the data on the maps and we use gap maps for our analysis and that, et cetera, but on that information, but she'll know more about North Lakes, what's going to work. And we just listen to those ideas and I want to do this campaign. I go, yeah, okay, it's not cheapening the brand. It's consistent, bang, bang, bang. And then we do that education. But yeah, so it definitely works. It's just communication. And we want to give our franchisees, we don't want to, I guess, put a handbrake on their entrepreneurial spirit as well we want to encourage them to create to think to innovate to market we want to give as much support as we can and we, we've got internal graphic design here at hq and we help out with all that as well so we work together to do that okay ben so we talked before about or you've mentioned a couple, a couple of times that you know in almost all cases it's been a good fit in some cases franchising won't be the right fit so i guess the question is who is franchising right for because i mean some pts may be great trainers they may even be very business minded as, as well but they may have their own very firm ideas about how things are done and therefore not necessarily fit into an existing model so yeah who's franchising right for it's a brilliant question i actually feel quite passionate about this because the first thing to say is any potential franchisee there's certainly not a failure they're not right for franchising that's what they need to understand and what franchisees need to understand just because we see through our glasses so basically in simple is if someone is really i guess opinionated strong-minded wants to do it their own way they're just not suitable for franchising because for franchising you've got to give a lot 
to give a lot to be part of that network. So the people that are right for franchising are those people that, yes, they've got the entrepreneurial spirit. Yes, they've got business acumen. Yes, they've got PT. They don't even have to have PT, really, as long as they've got an interest in fitness. Really, they can be really good. As a matter of fact, they are three highest performers and not trainers. So they're, they're actually, they're three highest performers, one, two, and three, and not actually on the floor. So they, yeah, they nail it but they're just very good at managing people understanding the standards very good at sales and those other things so the people that are ripe for franchise those people who are willing to follow systems and conform to the common goal of having the best brand ever so and other people want to buck the system and they're they're the sort of people that in and this isn't a bad thing but in sport they'll probably play tennis rather than football individual sport versus team they'll probably play golf rather than cricket same theory so and that's fine you just got to identify and know that know who is in which category and have that conversation real early look are you willing to follow this or you know and then you understand we've we've seen a lot we've seen a lot with other brands and yeah it's really good to identify early on in the process who's right for and who's not absolutely look i mean i i guess you're the captain so you get the captain's call on this when it comes to if you're talking in cricketing terms so I guess you have, as part of the process, if people apply to for a franchise, you have a way of vetting this out or trying to get a feel of where people's, where their business inclinations lie. Yeah, we've got a pretty solid process for that. And once again, it's, as I say, to potential franchise, it's not a bad thing if you're not suitable. And I would be actually happy to help with people who want to do it themselves and say, no, no, go for it. Never want to stop. People want to live their dreams. We've certainly got the process in place to try and identify those steps along the way, who's suitable and who's not suitable. And there's multiple little, I guess, checkpoints that will learn that through the process. And then we've got our psychometric testing and there's multiple things along the way that will identify when someone gets to what we call our stage five after their stage four discovery day, they've gone through their expression of interest, their due diligence, their franchise application, etc. When they get to that point, we know both parties if, if we've got a marriage, so to speak, in business. And if it's not, we're always happy to walk away. And I'd like to think that across many brands that both parties are always happy to walk away. But sometimes you don't learn. As I said, I learned once at stage five on the 14th day, at the, very, at the 11th hour, I learned that. And then if your gut tells you that, always just follow it and back yourself. And regardless of our growth plans, you always do that because... Yeah, it wouldn't be too funny if you sort of weren't excited when someone joined the network. We joined four and four late last year. We had a bit more time to put into through lockdown. And mm-hmm. with the four new franchisees, I, I just knew on all of them that it was really positive, felt great. As a matter of fact, Cairns opens next week and they're doing really well on their launch, pre-launch. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, hmm. franchising with who's right. It's good chat. I mean, I guess on the other side of that then, to what should – I mean, that's, that's what you look for in franchisees. So what should PTs look for in a franchise if they're thinking about becoming a franchisee? Oh, that's another great question. You're on fire today, Ollie. Uh, <laughs> it's so important to do your research on a brand. I think the first thing is, this is a real simple thing. Join in a session or join in a week of that brand and see if you would pay as a member. That's the first thing because... This is not being rude, but we had a decent inquiry recently where the person was is a bodybuilder, is a big lifter. Our market's inactive. That is a train crash waiting to happen. So because what I've always found with our 150 PTs we've employed over the years is that whatever you believe in yourself as the way you like to train and the culture you like to be part of, your values, you'll probably react really well in, I guess, an aligned culture, aligned membership. So 
our best members, so best franchisees. I guess that, you know, for us, it's about training for healthy lifestyles, not about looking amazing in front of a mirror. We don't even have mirrors in any of our studios. It's one of our points of difference there. They actually fit in really well. It just depends on what part of the industry. The first thing is try and look for what you like yourself as your own training and see where there's a fit. So if you're into the real, if you love your high-intensity group training, look at those brands because you're going to sell it. You're going to love it. That's the first thing. And then you've got to look at the leadership. You've got to always look at the franchisor. That's the first thing. You might deal with a salesperson, but go above that. And franchisors should always meet potential franchisees no matter how busy they are because they're representing the brand. A franchisor, if they say, no, you're dealing with a salesperson, that's a red flag because you wouldn't let a babysitter look after your kids unless you screened them, right? <laughs> so the franchisor, I think, trying to understand the franchisor. And then that gives you an idea of the values, the culture. Have a look at their track record. You know, how many have closed and why they closed? Was it an individual? Was it a brand? And they close. That happens to all brands, but try and look at the circumstances. How many, how long have they been there? Have franchisees renewed? What do the franchisees say about the brand? What do they say about support? And then in that due diligence phase, you get a feeling whether... Yeah, I really like where this company's going. Here's their growth plans. This is where they want to be. They're investing into there. They're not tired. They're not dated. They're modern. They're always upgrading. Then that might be a fit. But if you feel companies on the way down, yeah, you're probably going to be part of that slippery slide. <laughs> so, so it really is about doing your homework. Do your homework, yeah. So I guess in simple, understand how you like to, like what type of business you like to train. So like on a personal note, I know it's great and there's a lot of people, but for me personally, I just I do love training hard, but I like generally training, but I probably wouldn't buy a CrossFit because I don't do it, you know? But whereas, you know, my friend Luke, he's a great CrossFitter. He bought a CrossFit years ago and he's, he's done well with it. So that, that works. So that's probably the first one. Then try and get an idea of the head office, understand the leadership, the franchise or, because that dictates so much, I reckon, with the culture. Probably the third party, speak to as many franchisees as you can, go and do sessions at multiple studios, have a coffee with them and try and understand, yeah, try and understand their satisfaction levels, what they're strong. Well, there's always going to be some negatives when you do that. And most brands, there's probably some, but if you actually speak to enough people, you can actually learn the patterns. Hopefully when people speak to our guys, it's more positive than not. I think that hopefully there is positivity. We always want that. But generally speaking, if you do go to a brand that's got say a hundred units and five people say this is an issue, but 10 people say it's not, then make your own opinion about what they are. But honestly, do your research. Mm. Can I ask you, Ben, how long is the franchise for? Is it for a set number of years and then it comes up for renewal or the people can on-sell a franchise or is that passed back to head office? Yeah, it's a five-by-five. Our agreement's five-by-five, but it's five-by-five plus the period from commencement to the lease start date. So the reason why we add that into the franchise agreement is because you want the full five years, but also from a franchise, you want to secure the territory. So there's always a period between securing the territory from your first day of your lease. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, someone joins today and we don't open till December, hypothetically, we wouldn't open December, but January, it'd be five years plus the seven months of that period. And then when it comes to renewal, what would happen is at nine months before the end of the first term, the franchisee says whether they want to go on. We don't have a renewal fee. A lot of brands do. That's probably another thing I'd probably negotiate if I was a potential franchisee. I don't think anyone should pay a renewal fee. That's my opinion because if someone wants to retain, you're not going to charge them again. Some brands do charge that. I'll try and remove that. We have a $0 
we have zero fees with a lot of those things. So then they just go on. And then if they want to sell their franchise business, that's fine as well, of course. And then the only thing with that is it's got to come through head office, obviously, to approve the new franchisee. So franchise sales can be, a resale can be tricky, but it also can be easier because it's a brand. You take the good with the bad. So, yeah. Okay, so look, when you're running a big operation like this, I imagine you need to get some. You need to be able to get some snapshots of the way that every franchise is operating at any given time, so that there's no nasty surprises for anyone involved. So, yeah. I mean, these days that's usually down to technology. So, what role does technology play in listen to your body? And I mean, in everything from your operation side and also to the client side, is it, I mean, you alluded earlier to something in the offing and, and, and I suggested it might be tech-based, which is probably, you know, it's 2021. It's probably no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no surprise. It's kind of a surprise if, if people aren't investing more in technology these days with regards to fitness businesses of any mm. size, whether you're a, mm. a sole trainer or, or a club or a franchise operation. So yeah, mm. what role does technology play? <laughs> I should have. It's actually over on the other desk there. I won't grab it, of course, but I've actually got a franchise prospectus with all our tech partners. We've got a heap of them. So, yeah. But look, tech in simple terms, tech's huge. If you're not embracing it, you're cooked. You're probably dead in three years as a business. So, we now, we're probably almost halfway through. We've got a notion at the moment through our network to totally go paperless. So, we don't have debt reception desk anymore at a lot of studios. So, the whole business is basically run through here or an iPad. So, we're, and I'm happy to give a plug, but we're partnered with One Fit Stop as our biggest tech partner who, I, look, to be honest, I just can't speak highly enough. They've also built our corporate dashboard with what you were saying earlier with how do we know with the performance, our corp dashboard's built and all of our data gets dragged into that to see the snapshot of the performance and the metrics across multiple levels. So from a business point of view, One Fit Stop for us and all our reporting is done through that. From a customer, and there's obviously more, which I'll, I'll quickly touch on, but then from a customer-facing viewpoint, everything's done through the app. So no more merchant machines in, in a lot of our studios. No one pays in studio. Everyone's got to just go buy through, through the app. And then they join through the app. We send them their consultation form through the app. They still face-to-face, but they just do everything, all their bookings, their payments, update billings, reschedule sessions all through the app. So nothing's done manually. It's all through that that platform. And other, I guess, tech partners, obviously, MyZone are, are great friends of ours. they also been big supporters of annual conference for years there. We do lots of work with MyZone, who are a phenomenal supplier. And then, yeah, we've got multiple other other small tech uses we have with content and marketing and but one fit stop are our biggest tech supplier. Okay. So every member, I'm taking it, has a MyZone belt? We'd love to say every member. We haven't got every member on it, but we're it's working towards right? it. Yeah, yeah, it's opt-in. So, I mean, obviously we thought about the strategies. Do we give every new new member a MyZone belt? And they're, you know, they're, you know, 120 bucks. Well, it depends on what studios charge. We usually charge 120 bucks each. and. Mm. You should consider that. We do join up a lot of members, you know, but it is an opt-in. It's an opt-in, but it's a they're a great they're a great platform for us, and yeah, it just makes a huge difference to to training and retention and culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so Ben, we talked so far mainly about people becoming franchisees. I just want to flip that around now to say personal trainers listening, and they're thinking, well, I've I've built my own successful business, and I think I've got something unique here that could actually be replicated. What if they wanted to follow the same sort of trajectory that you've done and franchise their business? Is there a danger? Well, I wanted to ask: Is there a danger for PTs that, that do this? 
if their business or studio is so much about them and you know if they're the one that's doing most of the training or all of the training in the business that it can almost be if they were to replicate it and they are no longer part of the new operation that that could be detrimental to the business's success i mean is is there a, a danger of this sort of cult of personality it's a brilliant question again so if someone is looking to franchise their business, I think that's the first question to ask, is it franchisable? And there's a lot of companies, and that's what we did, and that's what we are a bit, you know, that was one of our, I won't say red flags, but probably question marks. Is it because of the IP built up in the brain mm. that it's all about, you know, it's all about one individual and then is it franchisable? You can actually do some analysis and put companies on to do a due diligence on the franchisability opportunity for a business model because some businesses are not, franchisable and some are and you got to probably work out what's unique about this and how would it look if i set one up in darwin but remotely managed it and what needs to happen so i think step one would be get an expert that can do due diligence on the business model see if it's franchisable and you, you just hope that they they haven't got their own interest to get a consulting gig for it but you just hope that they give a really good review for you for that person to think about that is it a risk as well if someone decides to go to franchising, you certainly need a lot of, I guess, finance available to be able to do it. It's a very expensive thing to franchise. Like even just to scratch the surface to get it to close to market, you, you, you'd get no change out of six figures to get it to market. And then you get it to market. Then you think, oh, geez, I'll probably need to get this software, build an ops manual. I need a marketing budget. I need a recruitment budget. I need a support team. I've got travel costs if that's applicable. And all of a sudden, your break even is a lot bigger. And if you do that whilst trying to manage your cash cow at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what we did when we we're in that, I guess, dilemma is I took the risk on spending the money on a consultancy firm to help build it once we said, no, I think it is. It was still a think at that stage, but I've got to remove myself from the business Mm. to prove that it's a franchise. And then we went from, I'm happy to share this, but in a small little studio, we went from basically 297,000 of memberships to 404 that year. I stepped out all by one session a day. So we actually grew 30% Mm. that year with me not working in it, which is really good validation. But then the next year before we even went to market, we actually just opened up another franchise and traded for a year before we even went to market to see and test whether someone else can get a model similar. And on trajectory, they were ahead of where we were four years earlier. Okay, we're ready now. So we did like two and a half years. We didn't do a real fast rollout of, of okay, let's just open and just shell them. We tested. So I'd recommend to go down that line to really get a proof of concept before spending too much money on, you know, because you can, you can quite easily drop 40 grand on marketing recruitment and see nothing for it. Sure. So make sure you got the answers. So it's a, I mean, from that I'm getting, it's not something you go into lightly. You've got to, well, you've got to make friends with a bank manager. First of all, you've got to get external validation of what you're doing because it's all too, it's all too easy from where, from our own vantage point to to see the benefits and not necessarily see that it may not work. The replication may not work. So there's a lot and time, as you say, you sounds like you guys were super cautious but before Mm. you, before you try to roll it out and you say you gave it that additional year of just kind of seeing if it could be replicated without you being the hands-on hands-on player in that team so yeah it's obviously a big decision it really is yeah and i think the other the other thing that's super important as a franchisor and i'll probably have to teach myself this is i guess you get to a certain level through i mean when we franchise we're 11 years in and thought i knew a little bit about the fitness industry but there's a hell of a lot to learn and a lot to learn about the new model but 
you got to let go of the vine a little bit as well as a franchisor and just understand, look, I'm going to let someone look after my, my kids, so to speak. They're not going to do it to exactly the same level because you're the founder and you started it and you... So you do have to let go a little bit whilst balancing, conforming and the direction you're going in. So if you are a perfectionist, just be mindful that you you know, you won't get the exact same when you franchise because people would be oblivious to it because you're competing to sell your franchise with some huge brands out there at the moment that are that are rolling out very fast. So it's just the way of the world. So it's a, it's a big world out there, franchising. In saying that, I recommend it if, you, if you've got the drive to do it. I do recommend it. I'm not saying I love it. It's the best decision I've ever made. Um, we've impacted a lot. We've saved lives all over the country now. Well, not all over the country, not everywhere, but I just think it's just really important to, yeah, just do your due diligence. But it sounds like you're as enthusiastic about it now as you as you must have been on day one to even go down the franchising avenue. I mean, it's been a great chat. Thank you very much for talking with us. But do you have any last words of advice for any fitness professionals who may either be thinking about becoming a franchisee of an existing franchise business or that have built their own business and are now thinking about franchising? I think probably our only advice is just whatever you do in your career, you know, you're either step up or step down. So whatever that looks like for each individual. So it's have a crack, just try and improve yourself. And if there's a fit with a franchise brand, definitely look into it. Be really honest about the process. But most importantly, do your research. And yeah, that'd be my last tip, just to do your research, do your due diligence. Because if you go through that process and everyone's aligned, then it can be really happy days. We've had some guys that have changed their whole life to join our network with property developments, holidays, their own house. And we've had some great, great results. You know, it's not all roses, of course, but if you get it right, it's fantastic. But to get it right, you need to do the work. It's not just easy to just roll up and go, oh, yeah, I'll make a life-changing decision now without the due diligence. So that'd be my last bit of advice. But stop or step down. <laughs> great stuff. So, yep, caution. <laughs> yeah, caution. Probably a bit over the top, I get it, but I'd like to be very honest with these sort of things. So, yeah. Completely. Ben, I wish you all the best with Listen to Your Body in the year and years ahead. And to all the franchisees out there as well, thank you very much again for speaking with the Fitness Industry Podcast. Awesome, Ollie. I really appreciate the invite and hopefully some listeners get something out of it. Thanks again, mate. grow the success of your fitness business, check out Network's online business skills courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points. Network members save up to 30% on courses, so head to fitnessnetwork.com.au and select the Courses tab to grow your skill set and fitness career. Plus, for a truly immersive business skills course, take a look at Fitness Business Essentials from the Australian Institute of Fitness. Tailored to the fitness industry, it focuses on the latest digital marketing practices and trends to equip you with the tools and confidence to successfully run your business for the long term. Go to fitness.edu.au to find out more.